Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, the second rule of assisting, anticipate. Part two. Here we go. Okay, look, basically, you've got to use a checklist. You've got to have reminders. They can be handwritten. It can be on the, on the computer. It doesn't matter. If you ever need someone else to carry out this task for you, either temporarily or permanently, training a replacement or a stand-in is way easier if you have a checklist. And the things that are on your checklist will vary with your role and with your industry, but here are some common things to look for that are the starting point of how you fill out your checklist on the day, the week, and the month uh, overview, anticipating the future. The first thing you've got to do if you're assisting, some, assisting someone is, are there any meetings which need to be prepared for? Now, I want to talk about the things you need to do to help somebody prepare, but folks, let me just be clear about something. The people who are really good in meetings, the biggest difference between them and you is they prepare for the meetings. Now, you might think, well, I don't see 15 minutes on their calendar to prepare. No, maybe not. But they knew at 8 o'clock in the morning, they had a 2 o'clock meeting with the marketing folks, and they knew what they wanted from the marketing people, and they knew who was going to be in the meeting, and they knew who to call, and they thought about it last week, and they've already started their relationships, and they've thought through who will listen and who won't, and they make sure that the person who is going to listen is the person who is a decision maker, and they've thought through roughly what they're going to say. They don't walk into meetings and then go, okay, how am I going to do this? They are prepared before they go into meetings. Okay. So some of the questions you need to ask yourself when it comes to meetings, what preparation needs to be done? What, what paperwork needs to be brought with the person or is, is needed to make sure the meeting is, it runs smoothly. When can that prep be done? If the person, if you, the person you're supporting needs to do some prep, maybe it needs to be on their calendar. There might be a weekly meeting with a program manager, for instance, and, and the project manager who you're assisting will need an up-to-date project report with the tasks which were completed in the last week and stuff that may be read in amber. Right. The last thing the program manager wants to hear is, oh, I didn't know. The program manager will always be told by the project manager, your boss's worst enemy. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> but it was in stuff is in the wind. Right. And the program manager, he knows that that person is throwing Ozan under the bus. But he also knows I'm responsible for Ozan's project just like Ozan is. I'm the program manager and I want to know. And so maybe he'll if he knows that Smith, the guy who told him this is an enemy, an arch enemy of Mike's, he might say, well, you know, I heard a rumor that maybe we're behind schedule on Project Alpha. And if you say, oh, if the first answer you have is not confidently addressing the potential disconnect or whatever, you're screwed. You're totally screwed. And why? In part, because the assistant didn't help the project manager, in this case, Ozan, be prepared for the program manager and the kind of questions that are going to come up, okay? Maybe Mike needs a half an hour to prepare for that meeting, so he has some talking points ready. Now, you don't have you don't have to have slides. You could take the project, the red, amber, green, the status sheet of the project, and you could put three or four bullet points on the back of it or on a, on a, a note paper that you paperclip to it. That's all. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need a presentation. You need talking points. Okay, further, now you've established there's a meeting which needs to be prepared for, and, and in this case, your project manager needs some time to prepare for it. What can you do to help him or her prepare? Can you get the report printed? 
Can it be on his desk? Uh, is there a half an hour preparation time before the meeting or what could you do to free up a half an hour? If in fact, that's how much time you think he needs. Are you sufficiently on top of the project that you could draft the talking points? Right. And I know an assistant once who said, I would never do that because I know he's going to change him and I hate being wrong. Oh, geez. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I would love an assistant who says, hey, before we go to the meeting, here's some rough stuff. You may want to look at it real quick, but gosh, what executive, what senior manager do you know, Mike, wouldn't want 80% of the solution presented to them, even if they had to cross out two of the bullets and change them, right? Yeah. There's nothing worse than starting from a blank piece of paper. Yeah, from scratch, blank piece of paper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anticipating is knowing something needs to be done. This is great. This is, this is why Wendy is so much better than anybody who's listening realizes. Anticipating is knowing something needs to be done and assisting is actually doing the thing that needs to be done. I love that. Okay. Next thing, after meetings, are there deadlines that need to be prepared for, right? What preparation needs to be done around deadlines? How long is the work going to take? You become, when you're an assistant, you become a really good backward planner. Okay, the deadline's Friday, but he's busy all morning Friday. So really the deadline's Thursday afternoon. He likes two hours, but he generally won't do creative work in the afternoon. So it's got to be in the mornings. So this meeting that's now 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning that one of his directs requested, we're going to have to move that to Thursday afternoon so I can free up some time Wednesday morning and Thursday morning for him to get the work done. That's the kind of thing. That's thinking ahead. It's anticipating, even though it sounds like anticipating as well. How do I anticipate? I, I, I feel out of sorts all the time. I feel like somebody else is in the driver's seat. Well, okay, drive what you can. Do any meetings need to be arranged? Who, and look, if you're assisting somebody, who needs to be at the meetings? Can you draft an agenda? When you're drafting an agenda, you're not writing the agenda. You're just drafting it, and your boss will change it around a little bit. I can't tell you how many meetings I've done with exactly what Wendy or Maggie prepared for us. And maybe it wasn't the perfect agenda that I came up with, but it took zero time and it was an agenda. So the amount of time it took me as the denominator and the agenda itself as the numerator, the, the efficiency of that for me was infinite because it took me zero time and an infinite value around an 80% solution. I will take every day. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if a document needs drafting, yeah, there's a risk that if you, if you're an assistant, you draft something, it's going to be wrong. It could be wasted work. But if you're smart and you're tuned into your environment, and hopefully you are because you listen to career tools, obviously, it's likely you're going to get at least halfway there. And now look, there are some people who don't like being halfway there. Folks, that's your own personal bias against the 50% that you think of as wrong. But most bosses will see that as 50% less work that they have to do. Saving somebody 50% of the work they would have had to do, even if it would have taken them 50% less time, is still a huge benefit to Mike's point about the blank page. Next, are there any tasks? We've done meetings, right? And now we've got deadlines and now we're going on to tasks. Are there tasks which need to be done? Who needs to be involved in the task, right? Who, who needs to support your, your boss, your manager, the person you're assisting? Who might be, need to be involved that you need to communicate with? When do they need to be done by the, the, the task itself? Is there time scheduled to get them done? And folks, if you're talking about a senior person, if there's no time scheduled to get it done, it's not going to get done. The stuff gets done is the stuff that's scheduled to be done. Is there any preparation that can be done that you could do? And again, the standard is not, could I do it as good as my boss? The standard is, could I do some of it to make it a little bit easy? Especially, look, if these are regular tasks, if you shattered the principle doing the task this particular time, doesn't that make the delegation of it to you easier? 
you could do it next time. You've already proven you you can do it. Yeah, exactly. And this is one way your job gets bigger without having work delegated to you. You volunteer for it. I'm amazed at the people who don't think of volunteering as as a good thing. They they see the avoidance of delegation and the avoidance of volunteering as a good thing. And I got to tell you, folks, that's a zero sum game. That that if everybody in your company played it, your company will be out of business in ten years. Um, smart people say, no, I'll do that. I know I don't have time, but I'll figure it out. And and what used to take me two hours over in this other area, I'm going to figure out how to do it in an hour so I can free up that hour that I would have spent on this other thing. I'm going to spend it on this thing. And I'm going to be seen as somebody who's a team player. Now, this is probably my favorite one. And this is hugely influenced by Mike convincing me that OmniFocus is a good tool and me learning about getting things done from David Allen. Um, We're using the word context here. Uh, What context will this person be in? In the same way that getting things done does. Um, Context can be defined by the set of tools that are available. You're at your desk, for instance, or by the presence of individuals or groups. Like I have a mic context so that if I'm in a meeting with Mike and he and I have five minutes before a client gets on a call or whatever, I can cover stuff that's in my mic context. Like, please, can I have a day off from being on the road? Please, sir, please, can I have a day off? I really want to go home. No. No, stop rewinding. No. Okay, darn it. I shouldn't. I should have waited till I had more time when we weren't recording. <laughs> there you go. I'm just kidding, folks. I'm just kidding. Mike doesn't make me go on the road. Clients do, but Mike doesn't. Look, there's certain work that can only be done at your desk, right? So that you, have a, a con- you could have a context for your desk. There's work can be done on planes or in hotel rooms. That's a constant decision for me. What can I do on the plane? And it actually used to be easier because, of course, I didn't have Wi-Fi, didn't have email. I've gotten better about ignoring uh, go-go in-flight in order to write on planes. But context is helpful. Not having any phone interruptions on a plane I find is helpful. Just play this scenario out in your head, right? Think about the difference between getting to the office. I got a busy day in the office. And my assistant gives me a list of people that I need to call, phone calls I need to make, right? And I already got a busy schedule, right? Versus, you know, my assistant being aware of what I'm doing, knows that I'm going to be in the car, going to a client site for the next 45 minutes. And before I walk out the door, because he knows that I have hands-free set in my car, right? So before I go out the door, he gives me a list of the people I need to talk, talk to. I mean, that's being aware of the context I'm in and knowing, hey, yeah. Mike's in the car for 45 minutes. He can listen to the radio or he can make some phone calls. Yeah. Folks, for those of you who don't know it, there is a famous, ex- not famous, I'm sorry. There's a well-regarded, well-known sort of habitual practice of highly effective senior people in organizations, which we're talking about people that might be well-known either in the political or the organizational, the commercial spheres, and even the nonprofit sphere as well. Uh, And it's called a call sheet. And their executive assistant puts together a call sheet for them. And that's their call sheet for the day. And when they're not with someone, when they're waiting for a meeting, when they're in a cab, when they're after they go through security, when they're waiting in a lounge, uh, when they're when they're just finished the meeting and everybody's left and there's a half an hour before the next meeting, but they don't have time to get back to their office in another part of the complex, the Googleplex, for instance, they have a call sheet and they pull out the call sheet and they utilize those 20 or 30 minutes and make phone calls. It used to be the call sheet was something you did when you're at your desk, but now you can do it almost anywhere. But that's context, right? So you ask yourself, what context is the person I'm assisting going to be in and and ask what work could be done or not done. Now, now look, you might think to yourself, well, I don't want to overburden them. I don't want them to carry around some work that doesn't get done. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an analogy here. 
the worst thing in the world for a frequent traveler who is a reader, and I'm talking about me, the worst thing in the world, and I've validated this with hundreds of other very frequent travelers who, some whose faces I recognize, and I think, wow, I've only seen that person five times in the last 10 years, but I know contextually they're always on American Airlines in a seat sitting near me, but the worst possible thing in the world, and this even applies in the Kindle world, but it used to apply even more, is to still be on a trip and not have something to read. I remember being in a foreign country and looking for a book to read on my 13-hour flight home, and there were no English-speaking books. I mean, it was brutal, right? Same <laughs> I know. I know rationale. The trip and, and you don't speak Arabic either, do you? Yeah, so exactly. Right. Kind of, oh, kind yeah, of don't even. Yeah, I remember. Wow. Right. Did not. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and look, if your Kindle dies, right, that, that's bad. And we'll. by the way, we'll do a podcast about, about call sheets at, at some point. But look, same thing is true with executives managers that you're assisting. They should always come back with work undone only because you don't want them to have spent any time that work could have been done and they didn't have any work to do during that time. So you've got to think through the various contacts and you say, hey, look, there may be 15 minutes at the end of the meeting. Here's a call sheet for you. Or, hey, you're going to be over in the R&D section. You've said you've been wanting to meet some of the engineers. Here are a couple of names of engineers. Why don't you ping them or I'll ping them for you and tell them you're going to be on the what? Be over there and go see if you can't find them and just shake their hand and then apologize and say you got to go to another meeting. But say, hey, I'd like to stay in touch. And just the fact they've seen your face will make a difference. But the context of being in the R&D building, I remember doing that years ago at Procter & Gamble, mattered because now I had face-to-face with somebody that I never would have in my other role. If the person you're assisting has an important project to write, they probably don't want to be working on it while they're traveling. Uh, And so the question becomes, okay, do you want them to be doing it sooner or later? These are all contexts that you need to consider and maximize the amount of work they're getting done for the organization by helping the right work to be ready for them to work on it when they have time to do it, even if they have to carry around a folder with a couple of things. I mean, how, Mike, how many times have we sat on a plane with somebody and they open up the folder and we said, oh, what are you going to work on? And they said something like, well, whatever my assistant told me to, right? <laughs> exactly. I got a bunch of stuff I got to do here. And that doesn't bother them. They're not, they're not thinking that somebody else is controlling their life. They think, wow, this person is making it easy. I remember a story about a bricklayer, the best bricklayer in the world. I'm going to get this wrong um, because, I, because I don't remember the exact context of the story. But the bricklayer uh, hired an assistant, and he told the assistant what he wanted. He wanted precisely this thing. Only one thing he wants from the, the assistant. Only one thing. He wants the brick stacked neatly right here by his right hip as he's sitting on his scaffold, right? I'm sorry, his left hip, his left hip. He's a right-handed guy. He's got a trowel in the right hand. He's got a trowel with some mud on his right side sitting on a scaffold in front of a built a brick wall that he's being built. And he wants a stack of bricks, a certain stack of bricks, just off of his left hip. And he's the best bricklayer in, in, in the county. And the reason he wants it exactly there, and the first time the assistant doesn't know it, he says, I, you're not understanding me. This is exactly what I want. And the assistant's like, well, I don't understand. I, you know, why, why is that? He says, trust me, my job is laying bricks. I'm really good at it. I don't want to go find bricks. I don't want to look for bricks. I don't want to go get bricks. I want to lay bricks. And so what you, when you watch this bricklayer, all he would do is worry about the trowel and having the right mud, and he would reach... Almost as if, it's probably a stupid analogy, folks, but if he were a left-handed gunslinger, he would reach to his left hip 
while he was sitting on the on the scaffold and and stacked up maybe four or five bricks high was a pile of bricks. He didn't even have to look. He just reach, touch, feel the brick, put it in front of him, lay some mud down, put the trowel on it, uh, take the extra off and put the trowel back in the mud and then reach. And there was another brick right there. And he didn't have to go looking for bricks. And he laid 20% more bricks than everybody else, which meant, by the way, that he finished every house that he was commissioned to do in 20% less time than everybody else. That's why he was the breast bricklayer. And because all he had to do was worry about the mud and the brick and, and not where the brick was or going to find the brick or preparing the brick or any of that other stuff, his quality was better than everybody else because he only had to worry about putting it up there and getting the mud off and making sure the mud was the right amount. He reduced his uncertainty enormously. I know there's a bunch of practical jokers in the in the audience. Oh, here. If, you're, yeah, yeah. if your boss happens to listen to Manager Tools and she's asked you to listen to these Career Tools podcasts and you've heard this, you know, you don't get licensed to go put bricks in your boss's yeah. briefcase before they go yeah. on their next trip. That's not the point. <laughs> I'm a re- I want you to be a good bricklayer, so here's a brick. Yeah, I know. But look, you know what, folks? You have to be humble enough to realize that putting bricks there for that person is valuable. It really is. And doing it well is something to be proud of. Anything, excellence in anything, plumbing or philosophy, is worthy of praise. You know, if you're the greatest bricklayer's assistant, you're going to end up working for the greatest bricklayer. And that's going to be something worthwhile. It's like the old saying about the traveler walking down the road and he sees a man toiling over a a stone. He's got a, a hammer and chisel on it and he's got a miserable look on his face, his hand, face is sweating. He's working hard. He says, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm trying to chisel this damn stone. And a little bit later, uh, he comes across this guy and, and uh, he's, he's also a mason. He's working with some stone. He says, yeah, he looks like he's doing okay. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm shaping this, this stone. And then he comes across a third mason and he looks down and this guy has this beatific look on his face. He's just happy. It's like he's singing in his head. He's whistling. And uh, he just seems relaxed and he's working just as hard as the other guys. And he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building cathedral. Right. Right? And he's got the mindset. And if you're an assistant, you don't have to think of yourself as an assistant. You can be one of the cogs that helps the cathedral be built. And that takes humility to say, this has to be done well. What did Patton say during, during the movie Patton? He said, you know, the bravest son of a bitch I ever saw was a guy trying to repair a wire in front of withering fire. Yeah, somebody's got to repair the wire, sir. (laughs) So I'm going to go do it. It's just wire, but it's worthwhile. Exactly. Now, context, not only, you know, where the person is going to be, but who the person is going to be with. So, for example, yeah, if, you're, if, if the person you're supporting is going out the door to a meeting, right? Obviously, okay, you've thought ahead. You've thought ahead. They're going to be in a meeting, so they need certain materials. You might arrange to have particular documents. Uh, you might have briefed them ahead of the meeting. There's a bunch of stuff you could have done to the meeting. But the next step is thinking about, okay, who else is going to be in that meeting? Right. And if there's two people in the meeting that the person you're assisting needs the support of or needs to get a question answered or needs something from them, why not put that in front of your boss as well? Yeah. For, uh, the classic one is Wendy telling me, don't insist Mike go along with you on this, because if you do, don't forget next week. You guys have to agree on this other thing. And if you insist too hard, he's going to push back on the other thing. I'm like, oh, my God. Thank you, Wendy. Because I could have easily pushed, and I bet you would have acquiesced. The problem is next week you'd remember that I pushed, and we would have had a tougher conversation about something bigger. And that's what she did when she anticipated that. So you ought to know who that person is going to be meeting in the meetings they're going to, and you ought to have agenda lists. 
a list of all the things you want to discuss with a certain person. It's like a Mark or a Mike context for me. I've got a million things I need to talk about with Mike each week, but, but if I'm home and I'm not often home, but if I'm home, I'm in Texas and Mike's in Virginia. And the funny thing is, is we just can't lean over and say, dude, I just remembered something I got to tell you. And we wouldn't get anything done if we spent, you know, every five minutes calling each other with the things that just popped into our head. So we start a list of all the things that we want to talk about to each other about. And when there's a team call or when Mike calls me and says, Hey, I want to let you know about this, that, or the other thing, or Hey, by the way, the new Android app is, is actually functional. Then I can say, Hey, look, I got a couple of things I want to go over with you real quick. And now we're not calling each other incessantly, nor are we missing the ability to talk to one another. And some of you may say, well, that's what email's for. I get it in my head and I send out an email. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you think you can build all the relationships you need in order to be a really effective senior person someday, good luck with email. It's not going to happen. And I know at your company, email is the, the communication vehicle of choice. And it's still true that it is not the best way to develop relationships. And if you're going to make big decisions and rely on other people to support those decisions, your relationship has to be built on something more than email. As I said, Mike and I have a list of stuff we can talk about and we go through our list pretty quickly. So consider who that person you're supporting is going to be meeting. Is there anything she should talk to him about while they're together or on the phone? Anything you can remind them of. Don't forget X. Don't forget Y. And that's on the agenda list that, that's associated with the context of the person they're meeting. Another one, this is another one that, that I love that is, is one of my criteria for separating good from bad assistance when I'm working with an executive. And that is, can you see any calendar clashes? The easiest one is two things happening at once. But the other thing, the bigger one is no time to prepare for something important, right? It's a, there's a big meeting on Friday, but there's no time on the calendar to do the deck to prepare for the meeting, or there's no time to rehearse, or there's no time to pre-wire the deck with other people. So, finding a potential clash in terms of not enough time or too much time or time ill allotted to things that those are also calendar clashes and you need to rearrange the calendar to support the primary things that you're the person you're supporting is doing. There are a couple others, right? Look, vacations, if there are vacations coming up for, for the person you're supporting or people on your team um, that need to be covered for, what preparation needs to be done. I'm amazed at people who don't realize that a couple weeks before vacation, everybody ought to know what's going to happen when they're on vacation. And then people say, well, I don't have time to do that. And so I'll be busy checking in on vacation. Well, it's your fault. No offense, but it's your fault, right? You're not the president of the United States. You're not the prime minister of the UK, right? You're not the premier. And you don't have to be connected 24-7. You don't carry around a nuclear football, okay? You don't have an aide that's up all the time that will bring you coffee and sandwiches at 2 in the morning while you meet with foreign dignitaries. You're a manager or an executive or an assistant. And you can go on vacation. And if you plan well, and if you're a manager, if your assistant plans well for you, you can go on vacation and not check in. Or just get a daily digest of things. And generally, the rule is don't action things while you're on vacation. Yep. And then uh, the other thing related to the calendar, did anything important happen yesterday which will affect any of the work going on? Now, remember, you're planning each day, and so you're going to be getting updates throughout the day, which will go into your list for thinking about tomorrow. Things like overnight emails, potentially causing a change, phone message, right? All that stuff. Right. Now, the important part is, okay, you reviewed all this stuff, and then for all the things that you, after, during this review, where you found there's potentially an issue, 
then you just ask yourself, what can I do? Not with the shrug of the shoulders that, you know, an expectation of the answer being no, because you're not powerful enough or you don't have enough rank or you're not, not enough, you're not high enough up the hierarchy. You don't have the real, right relationships, right? Assume, because it's true, that there is something you can do and figure out, okay, what is it? Yeah. It's simple. I mean, it's what can I do, right? You, you, you say, okay, what, what has to be done? I'll give you a good example of this. I think there are a lot of assistants. There are a lot of people who are assisting someone much more senior in a special role as an aide, an assistant manager, an assistant executive, assistant director, or something like that. And they think, I've got to avoid being wrong. And that's not what the executive wants. There's a great story about Churchill during World War II. He, he buzzed his assistant and he said, bring me my clop. And the assistant was out. And so there's a temp in. And boy, I, if I could come back into the life, I'd come back as Churchill's assistant, right? <laughs> and um, all of a sudden, like five minutes later, Churchill wonders what the, what the hell is taking so long. And in staggers his assistant with a five or eight volume history of the Third Reich. I mean, I may mean, I mean, be wrong about that. No, that couldn't be the Third Reich. It may have, may, may have been history of the Roman Empire or something like that, or history of the British peoples or something like that. An eight-volume book, set of books written by a guy named Klopp. Maybe it was Prussian Empire or something like that. And he looks and says, my God, what, what is that? And she says, well, it's these books by Klopp. He says, no, I want my Klopp. You know the sound a stapler makes when you hit it? Klopp. That's a Klopp. <laughs> he called his stapler a Klopp. Right now, here's the thing: if you listen to that story and you thought about being that assistant, you you were mortified. I bet you'd be surprised to learn that eighty percent of the executives would smile and go, "Well done," trying to figure out what the hell I meant and doing the best you could, not knowing what the hell a clop is. Right? Ah, dang it! And you know, in the absence of information, attack, do something, take an action. Right? And so, when we say, "What can you do?" we don't ask you what you should do if, in fact, there's low chance of it being wrong. You do what you believe is the right thing to do. You take action, okay? You don't expect the answer to be nothing. You expect the answer to be, I can do a whole lot, and I'm going to do as much as I possibly can, even if 30% of it is wrong, because this, the, the 70% that's right, your boss is going to say, wow, this is great. It's not bad to bring in a set of books when your boss wants a stapler if you believe you're headed in the right direction. Okay. Maybe you could pull the document together for a meeting your boss is having. Maybe you could inform some people of a situation, get their buy-in for a problem-solving meeting. Imagine, Mike, imagine I was your assistant and I said, hey, look, um, I cut this, this one meeting short by 15 minutes or I told them the meeting's going to go on, but I told them you're leaving in 45 minutes. So hopefully they'll make the decision before then or you can drive the decision before you leave and they can stick around and chat afterwards. And the reason I did was because at 445, we got a chance for everybody to come in and spend a half an hour brainstorming. So tonight when you go home and you have that hour that you're going to write that presentation for the CEO, you'll have some fresh brainstorming in your head. So I thought, man, everybody was really excited about giving your inputs. So it's only gonna be half an hour. I'll facilitate. I'll get your notes. And you can, when you drive home tonight uh, or when you're on the subway tonight, you can look at the, look at the notes. Dude, you're, you're hired. Dude, <laughs> you can dude, be my assistant, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, t I worked for a really great boss years ago who said once the best assistants are ones who have been executives before, Right. And conversely, the best executives are the ones who have been assistants before and understand how much can be done to simplify the decision, to simplify the action, to simplify the thinking or the communication. 
maybe you can eliminate a, a calendar clash. Maybe you can pre-wire something for the boss. If you don't know what a pre-wire is, there's a podcast on it. It's one of our very favorites. Maybe you can speak to somebody to ease a problem or prepare the road a little bit for your boss. Maybe there's a potential solution to a resource issue that you could get started on. Maybe there's some options and you can figure out cost benefit on, on the various options before your boss goes, oh, okay, what are the cost benefits? And you say, well, actually, here's a one pager that might help you. And you're like, the boss goes, oh my gosh, this is great. So can you do any of the work? And the answer is often yes. Not as well as your boss, not as fast as your boss, not perfectly, but those are not the standards. The standards are, can you do some of it reasonably well? And that will save your boss some time. Not as much time as you spend. If it takes you an hour to save your boss 15 minutes, that's not a bad trade-off, depending upon what you're working on. None of these questions, by the way, ask, what do you want to do? Or even, what will you do? But the question again is, what can you do? Look, if you discover your best software engineer is supposed to be both at a customer meeting and programming, being wired in uh, on the most critical module of the project at the same time, what are you going to do? Look, hell, you could go to the meeting or you could program the module. Or if you're me, if I'm, your, if I'm assisting Mike, Mike says, no, 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 please go to the meeting. And maybe you talk to the team next door and say, listen, we need to borrow somebody for a while. Or you send a delegate to the meeting. And maybe your preference is that you go to the meeting. And if you don't get out to meet customers much, it could be exciting. The solution the project manager chooses could be well be that you borrow the next door team programmer for a few hours. It's an assistant. It's often not up to you to make the choice just to present it and to clear the way for it to happen the way the principal wants it to happen. Your personal preferences don't come into it. It's a good lesson for when you're an executive and you get to put the organizational requirements ahead of your personal preferences. Gosh, is that a frequent failing of executives? They do what they want rather than what they're paid to do. It's great training and, and it's much broader than just being somebody's admin. So big picture, use 15 minutes a day, use our checklist. You know, the usual guidance on how to be a star player includes being proactive which is another way of saying anticipate, see around the corner, game plan what's going to happen in that meeting, uh, scenario plan that conversation, scenario plan the pre-wire so you can predict what's likely going to happen and make some adjustments. Most guidance doesn't tell you how to do that, how to be proactive or how to anticipate, but this is career tools and we do. And look, folks, it's not rocket science. Anticipation, like so many other things that sounds hard, can be broken down into actions and practice. And the more you practice, the further you're going to be able to see ahead, the more proactive you'll be able to be. And that's what makes great executives, people who can see into the future and deal with that uncertainty and be proactive about addressing it. I like it. Awesome. Thanks, my friend. My pleasure, partner. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you here again uh, next week. Meantime, have a great one. So long.